Good morning. Good to be with you all this morning. Um, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2, uh, verse 12 is where we're going to be uh, this morning. Um, and, and while you're turning there, I'll just uh, begin with the question, uh, what, what are some of the typical signs that you show when you're beginning to get sick? Right? It's, it's the springtime, and I think a number of us have been experiencing this a little bit, you know? So obviously it depends on what kind of sickness you're getting, but there are usually some common signs, right? We've got aches and pains, kind of a soreness that you generally feel. Uh, you feel tired, maybe a little fatigued. Uh, sometimes that pounding headache. For me, one of the sure signs of becoming sick is always kind of a loss of appetite. Anyone else experience that? Maybe you're just not that hungry, uh, don't want any things. Uh, for me, I, I wake up every morning, and one of the first things I do is make coffee. Uh, this is very important to me. Uh, Caitlin and I don't actually have a coffee pot, and so I usually make coffee with either a French press or AeroPress, or something like that. And there's something almost meditative about the boiling water and the ground coffee and that sort of thing. And that, that's just sort of the rhythm of my day most mornings. But on days when I'm sick, I wake up and have no desire for coffee. I'm kind of sore, I'm aching, I'm not hungry for breakfast, and I don't want coffee. And if I don't want coffee, then you know something is wrong. Something is very wrong with the world, if that's the case. So sickness has this certain feeling that comes along with it, often accompanied by this loss of appetites and various other things. And this week, I was reading an article and learned that some of these very same feelings are also associated with grief. The article listed several physical symptoms of grief, and among them, were aches, pains, soreness, tightness in the chest, fatigue, headaches, and the loss of appetite. When we're in the midst of grief, we're not often that hungry, but we do feel that ache. Have any of you ever experienced something like this before? You see, whether it's sickness or sadness, our bodies respond and let us know that something is wrong, letting us know that things are not the way they're supposed to be. And the same thing is true, I think, of our spiritual life. Okay, we're currently in the season of Lent, We've talked about this the last couple of weeks. That word Lent is just the old English word for springtime. Okay, and we've said that Lent is a season of preparation. It's a season of renewal, accompanied by practices of prayer, fasting, giving, and service. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be digging a little bit deeper into some of these practices that we've already begun talking about and doing together. And today, we're going to be looking at one of our absolute favorite practices, fasting, right? But really, just as we lose our appetites in response to sickness and sadness, we are called to fast in response to spiritual sickness 
and sadness. Just like the loss of appetite and all the other signs of sickness and grief, fasting is a way of acknowledging that something is wrong, of acknowledging that things are not the way they're supposed to be. And whether it's giving up some kind of food or some kind of habit, fasting is a way of losing our appetite for sin and gaining a taste for the things of God. And Joel speaks of this kind of fasting in our passage. So let's read uh, from Joel chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. It says, Yet even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your clothing. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relents from punishing. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the aged, gather the children, even infants at the breast, and let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her canopy. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep, and let them say, Spare your people, O Lord, and do not make your heritage a mockery, a byword among the nations. Why should it be said among the peoples, where is their God? This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for being a safe place to go in the midst of sickness and sadness both physical and spiritual. God, I ask that as we consider the words of your scripture, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So sickness and sadness, right? Lent is a season of renewal, But that renewal is not all lilies and bunny rabbits. Otherwise, it would be Easter, right? It's true that this springtime season is moving toward life. But Lent begins with the words, You are from dust, and to dust you shall return. And these words are a reminder of death. And not just an abstract reminder of it but a reminder that it pervades our experience and a very personal reminder that we are a part of it. So in this way, Lent is a call to lament and to repent. Or to put it another way, a call to mourn the brokenness of the world and to repent for the ways in which we contribute to that brokenness. It is a season to acknowledge that we are sad and that we are sick. 
So if you were here last week, we talked about practicing righteousness. And towards the end of that time, we said that the Greek word for righteousness is the same as the word for justice. All right? If you're here, you might remember that. Though these words, righteousness and justice, seem so far apart in our English connotation, in the language of Scripture, personal righteousness, personal morality, and social equality, right, justice, are intimately linked. So Lent is a season for practicing righteousness and justice, but it's also a season of increasing our awareness that these things, righteousness and justice, are desperately lacking in the world around us. It's a season to repent of our own unrighteousness and to lament injustice. And one of the ways that we are called to this is fasting. But we have so much resistance to fasting, don't we? And I think we have a resistance to it for the same reason that we have a resistance to lament and to repentance. Because one of our culture's favorite stories is that everything is okay. In fact, everything is just getting better. That's why we want all the stories we tell to have happy endings. That's why we often settle for really easy answers. And I think that's why we try so hard to ignore the pain, both our own and the pain of others. We don't like lamenting because it challenges the narrative that everything is okay. We don't want to acknowledge that the world around us is broken. So instead, we give in to the lie that ignorance is bliss. And we try to just keep on going. Even more ingrained than this is the narrative that everything is actually okay with us, right? And that we might just be gliding toward self-improvement or actualization. And anything that begins to suggest that we're wrong and we become defensive and try to justify ourselves, it is amazing how articulate we can all become in moments where we feel threatened, in moments where we feel guilty. We begin to defend ourselves, right? But the call to repentance means acknowledging our shortcomings and admitting that, in fact, ignorance is not bliss. So our resistance to fasting, I think, is connected to our resistance to lamenting and repenting. Because fasting admits that there is a deep-seated grief, that things are not the way they're supposed to be. And it also admits that our appetites are not what they should be. Look at how Joel describes this in verse 12. He says, Yet even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Here, Joel calls the nation of Israel to fast and to lament. And what are they lamenting? 
right? Well, at the beginning of the book, Joel describes sort of this famine that's coming through the land, uh, through this invasion of locusts. If you want to flip back or look back at chapter 1, verse 4, Joel describes, he says, what the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. See, their land is barren, and nothing is left. Down at chapter 1, verse 10, he says, The fields are devastated, the ground mourns, for the grain is destroyed, the wine dries up, and the oil fails. You see, for the people of Israel, fasting may not have been optional. They very well may have been fasting because there was no food to eat. And in their fasting, they weep and they mourn because things are not the way they're supposed to be. And though we are blessed enough for our fasting to be optional, we still have plenty of things to mourn. We lose loved ones to death. We have friends and family who wrestle with sickness and disease. Many who are far too young for the diagnosis that they have. Babies are lost to miscarriages. Families and relationships are torn apart from divorce. There are men fighting wars. There are women trapped in trafficking. And though we are able to eat, there are plenty of people across the world who aren't. None of these things are the way they're supposed to be. And so we're called to fast with weeping and with mourning. But there's more. Right? Because fasting doesn't only acknowledge that there is something wrong with the world, but also that there is something wrong with us. We're not only to look outward and lament, but also to look inward and repent. Look back to the text. Joel says, return to me with all your heart. And then in verse 13, he says, rend your hearts and not your clothing. This phrase, return to me, is a picture of repentance. Because that's literally what the word repent means. When we hear the word repent, we may think of an angry preacher or a guilty feeling. But literally, the word simply means to turn. That's what the word repent means, to turn this is why there are various places throughout the Old Testament where God refers to the people as a stiff-necked people. Have you ever come across that phrase? There are people who won't turn their heads. Rather, they stubbornly keep their heads facing in the wrong direction. Their necks are stiff. They won't repent. But the call to repentance is that call simply to turn our heads and our hearts toward God. And truly, it is our hearts, for that's what he says, rend your hearts 
and not your clothing. And this is a reference to a common Jewish custom in response to tragedy. They would be overcome by so much emotion that they would tear their clothes. And this custom exists as early as the book of Genesis, when Jacob tears his clothes whenever he thinks that his son Joseph has been killed. And then later, we see that David tears his clothes when he learns that Saul and his dear friend Jonathan have died. Job tears his clothes when all of his children die in various freak natural disasters. These are just a few examples, but they go to show us something I think really profound, that here in our text, the call to repentance, to return to the Lord, is likened more to grief than it is to guilt. Because you see, most of us hear the call to repent. And like I said, we picture that angry preacher on the street corner, or maybe you remember some specific moments where, you know, you were getting a guilt trip or something. But repentance is less about guilt and shame than it is about grief and sorrow. And I have found that grief is far more powerful of an agent for repentance than guilt ever could be. Because though it's true that we are guilty, guilt doesn't transform us the way that grief does. Rather than feeling guilty about pride, we should feel sorry for the way that we have put other people down. Rather than feel guilty about lust, we should grieve the fact that women and men are objectified. Rather than feeling guilty about our gluttony, we should grieve the reality that there are people who are starving without food and without shelter. You see, grief, more than guilt, leads to transformation because grief is rooted in love and it's motivated by compassion. The call to repent is a call to acknowledge that our pride, our lust, and our gluttony are part of what is wrong with the world, and to grieve it along with the rest. And so our fasting should not just be an outward act, like tearing clothes, but an inward act that tears at our hearts. The call to lament and repent really is just a call to acknowledge the world as it truly is. To stop ignoring, to stop pretending, and truly to stop working so hard to convince ourselves that everything is okay when it's so clear that it's not. The call to lament and repent is a call to let our deepest longings, those spiritual aches and pains, rise to the surface so that we can cry out to God for healing and for help. And that is exactly where Joel goes. Look down at verse 13, the second half of it. 
He says, return to the Lord, your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He relents from punishing. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. You see, we can turn to God as we lament and repent because it is in God that we find hope. We can bring our unrighteousness to him with repentance because he is gracious and merciful and abounding in steadfast love. We can lament injustice before him because he turns and leaves blessing behind him. In the face of the famine, he can provide grain and drink, right? The reason why our lamenting and repenting are not pointless, the reason why our fasting is not foolish, is because God is gracious. Just as our identity as beloved, is rooted in the love of God, so our fasting is rooted in his steadfast love. So when we resist the brokenness of the world or the reality of our sin, we're really just fooling ourselves. But when we lament and repent, we become witnesses to the character of God. If we truly believe that Jesus is stronger than the cross and the grave, then we must also believe that he is stronger than our brokenness and our sin and not be afraid to confess them. And lamenting and repenting, we confess that we are powerless and that he is all-powerful and truly will cleanse us of our sins and make all things right. And that's why Joel calls this fast. In verse 15, he says, Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sanctify a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. And look at who all is called. He says, assemble the aged, gather the children, even infants at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her canopy. This call is for everyone, young and old, newly born and newly married. There are no exceptions. And I think there are a couple of things that we can see here from this. First is that we are not alone in our repenting and lamenting. Grief is not something that we need to carry by ourselves. God has called us into community. And as a community, we mourn together. We confess our sins to one another. And we continuously turn each other toward God. And another thing that I think we see from this is that no one is exempt from the fast 
And therefore, no one is exempt from the blessing that God will leave behind. Just as the pain of injustice touches everyone, so will the promise of restoration. Just as the call to repent is for everyone, so also is the promise of forgiveness. God calls all people to fast now because there's coming a day when he will call all people to feast with him. And just look at the promise of Joel. That's where the book ends up going. If you skip over to verse 25, in the place of famine, God says, I will repay you for the years that the swarming locusts have eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. There is coming a day when God will right all injustice and restore everything that's been destroyed. And then look at verse 28. In place of our sin, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old shall dream dreams. Your young shall see visions. Even on male and female slaves in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Truly, his promise is for all people. In place of sin, God gives the Spirit to renew and to restore our hearts. And so the call to fast is a call to admit our desperate need for God, who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. As we draw to a close here, I want to end a little bit differently than I usually do. I want to invite you into a posture of prayer. And so whatever that looks like for you, um, just get there now. I want to spend a moment lamenting and repenting together. I want you to imagine yourself taking up all the brokenness of the world, whatever those things are that you lament, that you mourn. And I want to invite you to hold out your hands, palms down, as a sign of letting that pain and grief flow out of your heart and toward God. God, there are so many things that weigh on our hearts. There are so many things we have to grieve, to mourn, to lament. Brokenness in our families. 
sickness, among friends. So many places where there's injustice in the world. And sometimes we feel angry about these things. Because things are not the way they're supposed to be. God, right now we come to you. Hands down to let go and to give it to you. Now I want to invite you to begin to reflect on maybe some of your own sin. Those habits of the heart that cause destruction. The things that we have done and left undone. And I want to invite you to turn your palms upward as a sign of repentance and receiving God's love and God's grace. Dear God, we confess that we have fallen short, that there are so many things that we have done wrong and left undone right. We confess that our hearts are often hard. Our necks are often stiff. And our ways are often crooked. Come make things right. Pour out your spirit on us. That we might be changed by your love and by your grace. We receive it now. Dear God, we lament the brokenness of the world. And we repent for the ways we have contributed to that brokenness. We admit that we are sad and that we are sick. Forgive us our sins and heal this broken world. In Jesus' name, amen.